Blog Talk Radio.
the original man's history, the African-American, the African, any person from the African diaspora descending directly to the original man. Yes, that is us. Well, welcome to another episode of Our Own Voice Live. Our Own Voice is live. I am Rodney Smith in the air chair today. My co-host is Sister Angela Thomas. Hopefully she'll be able to join us a little bit later. Normally we come on at 12.30, but there's always something going on. So we're on a little bit late today, but I won't shortchange you on time. As long as there's something to talk about, I will be here to talk about it. And if you would like to join the conversation, give us a call at area code 347-826-9600. Would love to hear what you have to say. And the topic of our show today is why voting for the president is important for local issues, for local issues. I wanted to discuss that because someone said their votes didn't count for the presidency and that the president didn't really make a difference when it came the things happening in our local environment. And I've heard that so many times, and I thought about it, and I said, what is that right? Or is that another one of those sayings that we've heard for so long that we don't question it and we just accept it? Well, we're going to talk about that today. So once again, my name is Rodney Smith. You're listening to Our Own Voices Live. Normally, Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m., on the West Coast, that's 3.30 p.m. for our East Coast listeners. Big shout-out to the folks in the D, Detroit, Chi-Town, Chicago, back in North Kakalaki, North Carolina. My folks, thank you all for listening to us. Of course, our international listeners on the continent, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, folks down in South Africa, folks in Nigeria, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the love. I appreciate you all listening, and, and I appreciate you all sharing the perspective from an outsider's viewpoint. Because, you know, I'm, I'm here in it. And when you're in a thing, you know, sometimes you're just trying to survive. But people who are outside of it, they see it a little, you know, they see it a little differently. So I appreciate it to you all when you bring your perspective. Uh, a little bit about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from the local area here in the Las Vegas Valley but also someplace near you. We believe that America is the greatest country on earth, not in spite of its cultural diversity, but because of it. And our goal here is to help build the greatest bridge in history, unite us all. And some of the ways we do it is with shows like Our Own Voices Live. We also uh, have our origin back in Our Own Voices, the print and digital magazine. You can find us at Our Own Voices Live on Facebook, Our Own Voices on Twitter, Our Own Voices on YouTube, just Our Own Voices, nothing after, nothing before it, Our Own Voices. You type that in and you will find us. A lot of news. Uh, we have a situation at Standing Rock, and we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, maybe today, but for sure next week because we think that's something important to discuss uh, because it's may be the definition of tyranny. And for those of you who've read many of the works of those so-called founding fathers, they weren't perfect by no means, but they did come up with some ideas 
that were lofty, they were ambitious, get it as something to strive for. And I do believe that most of the ideas associated with America, America were good ideas. Unfortunately, didn't always practice what they preached. But we're going we're gonna to try to get into that a little bit because I, I really do think that's important. We talked about it yesterday at the gathering. We had our gathering at TC's Rib Crib. Uh, off of uh, Durango and Spring Mountain. Big shout out to Sharon for hosting us um, and all the folks who came out to discuss it. A big shout out to Jay Devon, uh, who has his own radio show. Appreciate you, brother, for coming out and sharing with us. And we we talked about some of these issues and so many more. Uh, but we actually didn't talk about what we talked about was leadership. And that was an interesting conversation, which really led me into this today because I hear people say, hey, I'm not voting for the president because it doesn't count. The Electoral College actually votes, votes for the president. Well, you're absolutely right, and you need 270 electors to vote for you. That's right, just 270. We're in a country of about 340 million, and of that 340 million, roughly, well, 270, if either candidate can get the 270, will be the ones that elect the president. Of course, if they're not able to get the 270, then there are backup mechanisms in place that will help us get a new president. So basically, one way or the other, there will be a new president. There's no stipulations for uh, if what, what happens if we don't vote anybody, what happens if nobody runs, uh, all of that. Well, Somebody is going to be the president, in spite of all of those things. So knowing that someone's going to be president, but also knowing that the 270 electors are the people who normally elect the president, some people say their vote doesn't count. Because of these 270 electors, the electoral college. And I say that maybe it's a misreading of how it works. Because there's only been a few times in American history where the popular vote and the electoral vote wasn't in sync with one another. So you can say that, yes, on those occasions, those 270 electors overrule the masses of American citizens. But ultimately, the American citizens sort of accepted their ruling. And here's why I say that. Because most of the electors are elected officials themselves. And if we did not like, do not like the decision that they make, we can vote them out of office. Whether it's an official political office, governmental office, or whether it's a position from the party that they have been elected to, because most of them are elected positions. So one way or the other, people have elected these folks to represent them. So we do have to say, now, as we have a say, someone, we were talking yesterday, and someone said, we determine who our leaders are. And because we determine who our leaders are, we determine how we want to be represented. And that is true as well. The interesting thing about that, because someone said we need a term limit, and I was questioning on why do we need term limits. And they said we need term limits so that we don't have people who've been in government, in elected office for 67 years. Now, that's a long time. It's not 
everyone stays that long, but at least a generation. You can expect your elected official to stay in office at least 20 years. After they've been reelected the first time, more than likely they're not going to give up that seat until they die or they have some major scandal. Major scandal that they're caught in. That so, how does this relate to our story here, our topic today? It's because most of those electors are elected officials that get reelected every election cycle. Roughly, there's a 98% incumbency rate. So, if those electors weren't doing who wanted them to do, then the people could simply vote them out of office the next time. So, no, it won't have an impact this time, but it will have an impact the next time. So those electors would take that into consideration when they vote, ideally. Ideally. And I say ideally because we have a 98% incumbency rate here in America. So, really, those electors are pretty confident that they're going to be reelected. But if they did something so grievous as, let's say, right now the trend is in Hillary Clinton's direction, right? Well, let's say the electors, the popular vote went to Hillary Clinton. Break it down. Let's, let's make it a little more, mm, let's throw a little more energy in it. Let's say the popular vote went to Donald Trump. And the electors voted for Hillary Clinton. And the reason why I wanted to say that is because we know that the Clintons have been working those electors for about nine years before she even ran the first time. So she has a relationship with them. She's worked with many of them in the Senate. Uh, when her husband was in office and when she was running the State Department. So she has a relationship with them. And it is about relationships. So let's say that they went against the will of the citizens and they voted for Mrs. Clinton. Well, not really much we can do at the moment. But after the fact, we can find out who voted for what. And when it's time for them to be reelected, we don't have to vote for them. That's how the system is designed to work. And it's important that we know how the system is designed to work. So we do have power over the Electoral College and the electors. Here's another piece of information associated with the electoral vote. Some people say, well, why do we vote? Well, you vote because you let those electors know what the will of the citizens is. So in other words, if you have these 270, actually there's more than that, you have these electors there, right, and no one voted. Nah, we since the Electoral College votes, we're not going to vote this year. We'll save time. We'll save money instead of having this giant election. Billions, right? And the Electoral College could still and would still make a decision, but they would make a decision without the end of the American people. And that's not the way the system is designed to work. The system is designed to work with the input of the American people because each state has its own electors. And what they're expecting from each of those states is the people to tell the electors of that state 
how they feel, who they want. And then the electors, though they're not technically bound to that, say, you know, they're elected people, right? And they, of course, want to get reelected. So in theory, they should take the will of the people, and when they go to cast the electoral vote, they should take that into consideration. And as I said earlier, most of the time they will go with the will of the people of their state, which ultimately means the will of the people of the country, and the electors typically vote for the person that the majority of Americans want. So now that's how the electoral college works. So folks say, even in spite of all of that, Rodney, the president doesn't count in my day-to-day life. I'm going to show you how the president counts in your day-to-day life, and especially African-Americans. And I'm going to start out with one of our more controversial situations going on in America today, and that is policing, policing of African-Americans. Other folks, too, but we're going to go with policing of African-Americans to make this point. President Bill Clinton signed into law a bill that put 100,000 more police on the streets. Now, those weren't police that just police federal facilities. These were police from your local police department. And President Bill Clinton wanted to get tough on crime. So in the crime bill, it gave us 100,000 police. It also gave us things as a disparity between crack cocaine and regular powdered cocaine, like 25 times the difference in arrest with crack cocaine versus regular coke. Who could that impact? Remember you said it doesn't impact. What the president does doesn't impact our day-to-day life. Well, those 100,000 additional police officers that came about because of the president are in your local community. And when he signed that crime bill that gave us the disparity in drug police officers that were in our local community went to local people, mainly black people, gave a stop at frisk, again, mainly black people. Now, stop, frisk, that was supposed to be a way to get guns off the street and illegal drugs, right? Because crime rate was high in in the 80s, drugs, gangs. But the strangest thing is where the majority of the drugs were, which actually happened to be white people, they weren't being stopped and frisked. It was black people through profiling. They were being stopped and frisked. That impacted people locally in the community. That came about because the president wanted it. So when you say that the president does not impact your local life, I would say that you ask all the people who, due to the crime bill that bought us the extra 100,000 police officers and put them in local communities, that it did affect the daily life of those people. If you look at the military hardware that our local police forces have that came from grants from the federal government, an executive order from the president, 
that affects us locally. If you think about all of the extra prisons that were built, partially from money from the crime bill that the Clinton signed into law, those prisons incarcerated people from our community who were stopped with stop and frisk after being profiled, even though the majority of people selling and using drugs were white, the majority of people who were stopped with stop and frisk were black. And we know that even when blacks and whites go to court for justice, usually you find just us and the famous line from Richard Pryor. And even though we make up less than 15%, right around 12 or 13% of the, of the general population, we make up roughly 60% of the 1.6 million prison population. Most of those people went into jail after Bill Clinton signed the crime bill into law. That, ladies and gentlemen, affected us locally. This show is not just me alone. Of course, it is done with the help of my co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas. Welcome to the show, Angela. Hey, hey, Rodney. What's happening, everyone? Glad to be back on another bright, sunny Saturday in Las Vegas. Uh, Yes, it is. I was out there earlier and loved it and just made me think how happy I am not to be in Seattle right now. And the reason why I mentioned Seattle is because I found out yesterday that Seattle is the second rainiest state in the country. On the planet. But it's so funny. Did you know that the rainiest state is, uh, or excuse me, the rainiest city? Is uh, Pittsburgh? I did not know Pittsburgh was number one for us, but it's so funny. Seattle is the second rainiest place, but I swear, every time I go, I'm waiting on the rain. It looks like it's about to rain, and it never rains the whole week I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, they may want to move you there for free then. Can't keep you there for a while. It never does. It's so crazy. And I've been, you know, going up there pretty frequently lately, but, man, it never rains when I get there. Well, it's definitely one of the things you can usually count on is it's not raining in Las Vegas. Now, we did have a little bit of rain this week, but it was needed rain. But you know, And it was welcome, yes, absolutely. It's a lovely thing to get rain, what, twice a year? (laughs) It's tough, but somebody got to do it. (laughs) That's right. Well, Angela, the topic of our show today, and to remind everyone else out there, the time for a station ID, is why voting for the president is important for local issues. Why voting Hmm. for the president is important for local issues. And everyone that's listening, thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Our Own Voices, live Our Own Voices, live Sunday, every Saturday at, well, usually at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast and 3.30 p.m. for those of our listening back east. And uh, our topic today is why voting for the president is important for local issues. And we've just been joined by my co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas. Now, Angela, I'm sure you've heard people say that, there's no point in voting for the president because, one, my vote doesn't count. 
because the Electoral College elects the president, and two, because he really doesn't have much to do with what's going on in my day-to-day life locally. What's, have, have you heard that before, and what are your thoughts on it? Uh, I have heard that I'm not going to vote for the president. It, you know, my, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I did not. I, I got to say, I, I, I run with a really great crowd, and they all vote. Y'all all seem to vote. So uh, that was very uh, early in my um, adult life that I heard that. And, you know, voting has always been important in my life. My my father's a uh, activist. My mother always worked the polls. Always, you know, was politically involved. She fundraised in Chicago. Um, always involved with the school board. Um, so politics was always made local at my dinner table, as well as you know, just in my circle of of neighborhood activities we 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 were always in that environment so you know i i i just i got to say it it happened once or twice but it wasn't anybody that was you know really deeply involved in my life so i you know i just encourage look you need to vote everything you you care about happens because you don't Mm-hmm. Um, if you, well, if you don't vote, you can't complain. No voting, no complaint. Well, that's well, that's what they say. And some people say, well, you know, my vote doesn't count for the president anyway, because the electoral college votes for the president. So, what difference does it make whether I vote there or not? Well, uh, all politics is local. Uh, this is true, and you being from Chicago, there's a whole lot of local stuff going on there. <laughs> all poli- all roads leads leads lead to politics in Chicago. Uh, you really can't even turn on a fire hydrant uh, in Chicago without politics being somehow involved. Even the, well, I I shouldn't say even even though I should say especially the the we had newspaper stands. Uh, throughout the community, run by, you know, independent operators, much like our dear uh, friend Sam Smith, just, you know, human encyclopedias, uh, gentlemen and, and ladies that had lived through a lot of life. Uh, my Most of them migrated, you know, from the South and, you know, lived in the big city, as they call it, and... Um, there, you know, you couldn't wait for a bus or, you know, be sent down there with your quarter to uh, retrieve your mother's newspaper or whatever without having a conversation about either something local that's going on or or something national that's going on. Politics is is really the uh, lifeblood kind of conversation in Chicago. We we all talk about it. Mm. Oh, I could see. So, and uh, so, what I was explaining to people before is the basics of how the electoral college works. That it is true that you need 270 electoral votes, electoral votes, to become president. 
Now, there's no guarantee that any particular candidate is going to get those 270 electoral votes. But you do need 270 to be elected by the Electoral College. And if for whatever reason they fell short, there are other provisions that would kick in that would still wind up electing the president. So we're going to have a new president one way or the other. And there is no provision that I'm aware of that would allow the current uh, sitting president to extend his term while we try to sort it out. So ultimately, I believe it's January 20th or thereabouts, we are going to have a new president. Now the question comes in is how do we get that college that elects the president or is it the citizens? Now if you talk to people in government or who teach it, even though the electoral college and the electors of it select the president, with their 270 votes, those electors are elected officials themselves in some capacity. So the people, though they, it is true they do not directly uh, elect the president, they do it by electing people to represent them, and then those representatives of the people make the decision. And there's only been a time that our country's history when the electoral college and the popular vote didn't match. Now, ultimately, it's the electoral vote that's going to make the difference. What I said was that if the people are not happy with the way that the electoral college voted, they could kick them out. Now, of course, that wouldn't change the results of this election, but they wouldn't be there for the next election, and then you would simply replace them with people who could best represent you. There is talk of getting rid of the electoral college and letting the president be picked like every other official by the popular vote. And it's something that I guess to me is six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. Uh, I like the concept of it because I like the fact that we would directly select their leader. But on the other hand, one of the reasons why we have the House of Representatives is because we select people that we that we believe are going to represent us in government, and we pick those people that we feel will do the best job, and we they will have information that we may not have, and because they have this greater level of information and knowledge of the system, that they will be able to do a better job than every time there's a vote that uh, for the government doing something the general population voted on. Uh, we can look at California as sort of a template to what happens when the general population votes for everything. When you look at Cal- the California referendum system, now it is somewhat fairly unique to California, but most other states don't want to be like California. And California is a system more like those who are against the Electoral College say that they want, but the majority of Americans say they don't want what California has. So there's a little bit of dichotomy on how the people really feel about the Electoral College, electors electing the president, and the general population electing the president. I say 
that whether it's the electoral college or it's the general population, right even now, the electoral college is made up of people that their community sent to represent them. And therefore, they are representing the will of the people. Moreover, <laughs> to our topic, yes, the president, I believe, does impact us locally. And what I use as an example when you called in, Angela, was the crime bill that President Bill Clinton signed into law. Because one of the things that it did was it put 100,000 more before it was designed to put 100,000 more police officers in the streets. And those streets were where the people are. That, so that impacts us. You have more police officers, of course, they have to do something to, to earn their keep, right? So they're going after mm-hmm. lawbreakers, or hopefully that's what you would think, is that they're going after lawbreakers, and it, it does impact us locally. Look at the number of people who were incarcerated before the crime bill, and look at the number of people who were incarcerated after the crime bill. If you look at stopping first, that led to a lot of those people going to jail. You'll find that it impacted people locally. Uh, President Bill Clinton even signed into law welfare reform. Well, that definitely trickled down through the system, and that had a huge impact on local population. So the idea, the concept that the president does not impact us locally, I am not sure that that is an accurate concept and it may be more of what people have heard, and so they sort of regurgitate it without giving a thought. And speaking of thought, what do you think about that? Does the president impact us locally? The president always uh, impacts local politics. Eventually, <laughs> policy visits your neighborhood. Policy is created in the White House and Congress. Visit your neighborhood. It's, it's inevitable. Bull. I think that was too many syllables, but I'm going to roll with it anyway. Do <laughs> you know? I think they got the gist. <laughs> uh, fun fact about the Electoral College uh, more constitutional amendments have been proposed to reform or eliminate the Electoral College than any other subject. Over 700 proposals have been introduced to Congress to reform or eliminate the Electoral College. Now, some people might say that it's not going to change because you would be asking Congress to lose, to give up some power. Mm-hmm. And according <laughs> to Frederick Douglass, we know that power feeds to no man without a certain level of struggle and strife to wrest it from the hand and grip of those who currently have power. So to ask for Congress to, well, take power from itself, that's usually not going to happen. Uh, The Electoral College has been here since basically the founding of this country. This country, and with yeah. all of those uh, attempts, notice they have been attempts. It still hasn't happened. 1969, um, 
an amendment passed. An amendment uh, passed overwhelmingly in the House, 338 to 70, and had the endorsement of President Richard Nixon, but was filibustered and killed in the Senate. That was as close as we've come to doing anything to it. <laughs> and, you know, the, the interesting thing about the Senate is the rules of the Senate allow one person, one senator, to stop the forward movement of anything proposed. That's right. One senator. Forty-nine other senators may like the idea to think we should talk about whatever the heck it is that they want to talk about, but one senator and say, oh, no, I'm not down with that, therefore it's not happening. So one senator can stop. Put the kibosh on everything. <laughs> nominee for the Supreme Court or any other cabinet position of the president. One senator. Fun facts, interesting little caveats to our democ- the running the running of our democracy. Um, another interesting fact about the electoral, um, the Constitution and federal law do not require electorals to abide by their by the results of the popular vote in their states. So occasionally, uh, the faithless, it's called a faithless electoral, they can go rogue, cast, cast ballots for candidates other than the ones uh, to whom they are pledged. A slight majority of states require electorals to cast their votes as pledged, although um, no faithless electoral has ever been prosecuted, ever. So what that means is even though not all electors are compelled by law, and we're talking about the Constitution, the big one, they typically do go with the will of the people. And that's why I say it's so important for the people's will to be expressed. Because if you don't express what you want, the electors, and Andrew used the word going rogue, the electors then have no guidance and they will go by how they feel. And I think that that is not the best practice. We do um, need to tell them what, what, how we feel to give them an idea of how they should vote. Of right. how they should vote, yeah. Um, electorals are prohibited from meeting in one central location. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, because they're not supposed to be able to basically to minimize, yeah, to minimize the chances of corruption, bribery, or backroom deals, electorals are prohibited from gathering in one central location to cast their ballots. <laughs> Thus, electorals meet in individual state capitals to vote. That's right. And so there are provisions. Now, of course, I don't think it says anything about picking up the phone. Now, maybe the spirit of the law is that, no, you guys shouldn't be talking about who you're going to vote for and compare notes. Uh, But technology and our current situation do not always work in sync. But, yes, they are not supposed to conspire with one another on who they're going to vote for and do some horse trading behind the scenes. 
And one final fun fact about the Electoral College. Um, the word Electoral College did not appear in the con- uh, does not appear in the Constitution. Article 2 of the Constitution and the 12th Amendment solely refer to electorals. Um, the phrase Electoral College did not appear in federal law until 1845. So, but think about it, though. You said 1845. Yes. This is 2016. So this, our system, our form of government, works. You know, it doesn't really change too much. I, that doesn't mean that it should never change because we don't know what the future may hold, how technology mm-hmm. might influence us, right? But one of the things it does tell us is that our form of government, is, you know, it's, it's persistent. And since it's been peaceful transition, it has worked fairly well. There's, there's no people getting guillotined in the streets. So far. Uh, at least not not yet. <laughs> if they find one uh, more email, though, I can't promise. <laughs> <laughs> so here's another thing, too, as we as Angela mentioned, the email. So we do have right now this email challenge going on. And you talk about, we're, we're talking about how does the president what does the president impact us locally? I, I often mention that Jacqueline Kennedy, uh, Jacqueline Bouvier Kennedy, uh, used to carry a certain type of pocketbook, I think it was called, the, and she wore a certain type of hat. And those hats and pocketbooks became a fashion statement. Matter of fact, whatever she wore became a fashion statement. If we bring that to modern times, uh, what Mrs. Obama has worn. Remember, Jay Crew was running out of stuff because she said that you know, she doesn't really get expensive stuff. She gets her stuff, you know, from the local TJ Maxx and buys J. Crew. Yeah, I'm still reeling from that Versace liquid, uh, the, the the liquid metal rose gold dress. So, you know, don't don't mention Mrs. Obama. I'm still having palpitations from that last dress. Beautiful. Hey, if you, hey, I know it's a new world today, but you think you have some palpitations? I just got some memories of the way things moved in that liquid dress, and I'll just say it was remarkable. I'll just leave it at that. It was remarkable. Outstanding. Yes, beautiful. (laughs) So, but now that if I was a betting person, I would go out and buy stock in whoever made that because we will probably see. That design. That was done by the great. Yeah, that dress was done by the great and masterful Donatella Versace, Um, and they have a long storied history with beautiful, creating beautiful, beautiful fashions. And uh, that one is definitely going to go down in the history books. And I'm sure if she made any more of them, they're gone. Uh, not only are they going to go down in the history books, but there's a bunch of saved images on a bunch of male computers right now. So <laughs> that is something as simple as attire can change how Americans 
behave. I, I also use the example of President John Kennedy, who didn't wear hats in a time where hats were popular to wear. A well-dressed man had usually had a suit on and a hat. Well, John Kennedy had a full head of hair. He was a much younger man that had been elected to the White House, and he didn't wear he didn't wear a hat. And it almost put the hat manufacturers out of business. As a matter of fact, quite a few of them did go out of business. So in things where they're superficial, because some people may consider fashion superficial, or things that are important like stopping prison and incarceration, we see from those examples that who's in the White House, whether it's the person actually signing stuff into laws in the Oval Office or their spouse. I have to say spouse now because we're on the verge of having our first gentleman in the White House. Uh, (laughs) I don't want to think about that right now, but that's a possibility. (laughs) So they do change things. Uh, uh, Here's another example of how the president changes things locally. The president often changes attitudes. Whether it's the attitudes of the police thinking that they need to be more vigilant in law enforcement, which typically means going after more black people, or a simple personal issue like President Bill Clinton saying that oral sex isn't sex. Change the game on the streets with young people, and maybe some not so young, said, oh, well, it's not really sex, so it's okay. Wow. The president, with the power of the bully Halted and everyone The president is the trendsetter That's another way to look at the president Though his laws Or the laws that the president Typically signs The bill that the president typically signs into laws Though they are wide reaching They do have Impact us at the local level So when people say eh, I don't vote for the president It's no big deal First of all the electoral college elect the president, and second of all, the president doesn't impact me locally. I'm trying to give you some examples to show how, yes, the president does impact you right in your house. I think of, I'm going to show you how the president affects your employment. Now, you don't get much more local than that. President Clinton also signed into law GATT and NAFTA. GATT and NAFTA, those are trade bills, they're treaties. What it did is it opened up the markets, international markets for trading of U.S. goods. How that impacted you locally is jobs that used to be performed in America, which gave us employment, are no longer performed in America, which added to our unemployment rate, right? It doesn't get much more local than your pocketbook. Your wallet. Matter of fact, they call them pocketbook and wallet issues. Well, that pocketbook <laughs> and wallet issue of GATT and NAFTA impacted you pretty pretty local. What do you think? Well, I'm gonna hit you even even closer to home. Every morsel of food that's on your table, if we don't put it through the USDA, um, it 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 dictates everything you're able to purchase at any store 
and bring home to your family. So, I mean, his decisions are very important. They're all around so you. I, I want us to rethink how we view our vote for the presidency and mm-hmm. how the presidency does impact us locally. Because the old saying that the president doesn't really have much impact of me in my day-to-day life. Here's one. Those roads that you travel on, those, those highways, oftentimes that money comes to us through the federal government with local assistance. But the president is the one who typically pushes for legislation for improvement to our roads, our bridges, and our infrastructure. Next time you're sitting on the highway in an old road that is one lane when it needs to be two or three, you've just been impacted by the executive branch of the United States, which is the president. The president is in every aspect of our lives, nationally and locally. And here's another one. The president becomes the leader of the respective party that he or she came from. So right now, President Barack Obama, the leader of the Democratic Party, that means that he set the tune of the Democratic Party. Now, Donald Trump, though he's not the president, he is the head of his party. And he is supposed to set the tone for his party. And if he was to get elected, he's supposed to set the tone for his party. Now, there are some issues with Donald Trump and his party. And he's not even elected yet. Now, maybe if he got elected, they would smooth out. But then again, maybe not. And that would be an interesting uh, sort of academic process to witness. President, the incoming president becomes the leader of their party. And because they're the leader of their party, they determine the priorities of the party. Now, the priorities of the party reverberate down to our state legislators, our governors, even our city and county commissioners and the heads of our local parties. They're following the script that has been handed down, the agenda that has been handed down to them by the president. That, ladies and gentlemen, is affecting your day-to-day life. People who are running for office, those local offices that you say are more important, those folks get their marching orders from the head, the leader of their party, which is the president of the United States of America. The president is impacting you, and affecting you in your day-to-day lives, including locally. You got any other uh, fun facts for us, Angela? Nope. I'm all out of fun facts about the Electoral College. So the topic of our show today has been why voting for the president is important for local issues. Well, I've tried to outline some areas, and Angela 
has shared some areas in how the president impacts us directly. Some things maybe with less gravitas, like fashion. Though people in fashion think that's quite a bit of gravitas. But whether it's fashion, uh, the president can impact the music that we listen to. Because why do we ask the president? What's what's on your uh, what do they call those things? Your your iPod list, your listening list, and your playlist. What the president listens to. Yeah, there we go. Your play playlist. See, Angela is the social uh, media, the entertainment. She she takes care of that end of this duo that we have, and she's <laughs> constantly educating me on those things. But yes, the playlist that the president has suddenly can make a mediocre artist a top-selling artist because the president is listening to it. Other people want to hear it, too. Something, I mean, things like that, the president impacts. Here's an area that uh, they came out at the gathering yesterday and mentioned where the president is impacted. And it is in black men and fatherhood black men and fatherhood because the president obviously and I know some of you may not have noticed because you're colorblind we said what to say but the president is a black man <laughs> but the president is a black man who's married still to his first wife and only wife of wow. three, was it three years I think yeah I the think president so has lived with his children in the same house all of their lives. The children have the name, the last name of their father who lives with them, which is the last name of their mother. Now, some people might say, well, right, that's being a little petty or a tribute, depending on your perspective, but that's huge. <laughs> When we live in a society today where less than 50% stay married, and some people say the African-American marriage rate is like 29%, I think that it depends on how you read the statistics. But President Obama, the president, the black man, that's right, he's black, is married to his first wife and been married to her for over 20 years whose children share his name and his wife shares his name. Also, his mother-in-law, and we all hear the jokes about mother-in-law, his mother-in-law lives in the White House with them and helps them raise their children, their two girls. This takes us back to a tradition that used to be in America and when our children tend to be, maybe it's a little different than they tend to be today because they have parental supervision whether it's from their immediate parents or their grandmother. That's a paradigm shift that comes from the president. So the president sets a precedent for how we conduct ourselves in society and in the community. The president may bring, well now this is a stretch for me, but the president might bring back the popularity of marriage. Because here he is, a fairly young man, vibrant, 
that's how they like to refer to people in their 40s and 50s, which is <laughs> where I am. I'm glad like to hear I'm still vibrant. vibrant. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> we're, we're vibrant, Angela. We vibrant. Uh, okay, cool, cool. But he he has he has set a standard, and that standard impacts our you know will impact our country. Again, the president and the presidency does impact us locally, whether we want to believe it or not. Now, just like I said, the president, President Kennedy, had a full head of hair and didn't wear a hat. If Donald Trump was to become the president, I don't know if we'd start seeing a bunch of comb-overs like Donald Trump. It's possible. <laughs> I hope not. not I hope not. <laughs> hope not. I hope y'all keep y'all hair. Where it's at, don't definitely don't go in the comb over direction. <laughs> Not cute. But it 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 does show though. At, at least I believe I we have outlined some ways in which the president and the presidency does impact in our day to day life. And I would hope that if you all are listening. If you want to chime in, we got a few more minutes. You can do so at 347-826-9600, and share some comments, your thoughts, one way or the other. So this is just my view, our Just conversation. Just conversation. But if you have a different perspective, call in, press option one. That will let us know you want to talk and, and share, because I think this is, this is important because we've heard that the president doesn't impact us locally so much that people don't take voting for the president. Some people don't take voting for the president as serious as it should be and don't see that, yes, the president does have a direct impact in my day-to-day life. Remember what Angela said about going to the grocery store and all of us go at one point or the other. Absolutely. And and while we're waiting on a call, on a caller to call in, I, you know, I wanted to take a moment during this broadcast to send a a heartfelt um, condolences to my city, Chicago. We lost one of the most important broadcaster broadcasters uh, last Sunday, Mr. Herb Kent. And myself and a legion of others have been inspired and educated and uplifted. Every Sunday, he would do what was called the battle. And the battle was um, where he would put two artists' uh, discographies up against one another. So he made Battle Prince and Michael Jackson. And the audience would call in and vote for who should win the battle, Earth, Wind, and Fire versus uh, Ohio Players. Mm-hmm. Um, just pick any of your favorite. He was the king of the Dusties. Uh, not only did he spin uh, his era of music, now, mind you, when he when he departed us last week, Rodney, he was still on the air um, 
every week, 70-plus years in broadcast, in radio. He could have went to television. He could have done many other things. But Mr. Herb Kent, the cool gent, Herbie Bailey, um, blessed us every week. And as far as the community is concerned, he not only uh, blessed us every week on V103, which is an iHeart station now, uh, but he also worked at our historic radio station, WVON, which gave us such national luminaries as Doug Banks, uh, Tom Joyner, um, um, Don Cornelius, came from WGCI, I mean WGN. Um, he touched my life as a student of broadcast because he taught at uh, Chicago State University. He also taught, um, well, he lectured. I don't, I don't think he was there as an official teacher, but he certainly came to many of my um, lecture moments at Columbia College. If you were remotely interested in radio, Herb Kent, the cool gent, was an invaluable resource to you. He was a human encyclopedia of the history of black music. We didn't just lose a broadcasting giant. We lost uh, a oral historian of black music. Um, today was his funeral. Many, many, many of my Chicago friends were all, you know, there in attendance. And if I had been home, I certainly would have went uh, to Mr. Kent's homegoing service. But as I watched it on Facebook this morning, I was brought back to a memory. My last interaction with Mr. Herb Kent, um, the first year that the Soul Train Awards came here, Rodney, I looked up and Herbie Baby was standing right next to me on the red carpet. And it was a full circle moment. And I, I did not let that moment pass without stopping what I was doing. I was in the middle of interviewing uh, Jimmy Jam and t- uh Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, I stopped, and I said to him, thank you, and hugged him and gave him the respect due of a legend uh, and thanked him for for his inspiration and, you know, look, all your hard work. I'm here on the red carpet, and we laughed that entire evening as we uh, did our work on on the red carpet, and to see a dynamic production team like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis stop and talk to Herb Kent, the cool gent, because if you knew him, if you met him for a moment, he was instantly your best friend. And just to hear them, hear him talk about their history and then them turn around and start kicking off his history. It was it was just one of the proudest moments I've ever 
had uh, in this business. Uh, so I just wanted to take a moment in this broadcast to to just recognize and um, say thank you for, you know, for the great Herb Kent, the cool gent, always and forever be one of my favorites. I just like his name, Herb Kent, the cool gent. He was every bit of that. <laughs> he was every bit of that. Big smile, big cowboy hat, and just the creme de la creme of radio announcers. He was so much more than a disc jockey. If you, I don't care how old and obscure you thought the song was, you literally could play just a little bit of it. And he would tell you not only the artist, but the year it came out, who was involved in the production, who wrote it. He knew everything. He knew everything about our culture, the culture of rhythm and blues, and how important it was to a community, no matter what was going on in my life, and no matter what was going on in his own life, he made it to the radio station. There was not a holiday of my life that we weren't in the kitchen cooking to the battle. Every Sunday of my life, we were in the kitchen picking greens or peas or watching the pot roast and arguing about who should win the battle. You would call, I mean, it, it, gets, it would get so intense, Rodney, that you would be calling your friends to double down on your point. No, Prince is better than Michael Jackson. Are you kidding me? Listen to I Want to Be Your Lover. And then, you know, the next person would say, you, girl, you crazy. You crazy and blind. Michael Jackson, all they got to do is play ABC. And that would knock old silly Prince down on the floor. He would even be singing that. I mean, it would be those types of intense conversations. Uh, And, you know, uh, between the cuts, between the hits, between the jams, between Jack and the Beat, he would be giving you that history, that deep down in the groove history of who wrote it, who played the drums on it, who mixed it? He knew the darn engineer. Don't nobody get an engineer, love. <laughs> but he knew stuff like that. And he will be deeply, deeply miss the broadcast. Um, the radio radio will so miss him. Here in Vegas, you guys had um, on Power 88, God, when I used to come visit here, God is his. Um, he had the big conference that everybody would go to Atlanta for. But you guys, God, his name will come back to me in just a moment. But you guys had him, and in Chicago we had Herb Kent, the cool gent. We, you know, we were blessed. We Chicago's a funny city. They had an abundance of blessings in a lot of ways, but there were, you know, quite a few. Uh, Classic, classic um, announcers that just knew everything about a record, knew everything about music, and knew everything about broadcast as well, and didn't mind giving back Herb Kent 
to you know all the way up into his death uh, to his death he was teaching at the University of of Chicago was never in his office he was always out with the students talking encouraging showing uh laughing you know just a cool guy every bit of his name her Kent the cool gin Herb Kent, the cool gent. Yeah. Nice name. And a history maker. As the part of that is going to be with the ancestors. Left a large shoe to fill. I often ask who's going to step in those shoes and then take them to places that they haven't yet been. That's often what's left with us. You know, I would also say that the same thing is left with us with the legacy of voting. Absolutely. A tremendous struggle to get us the right to be able to go freely and unencumbered to the polls. It's a legacy left by our ancestors for us to be able to voice our opinion as a legacy left by a cool DJ to share in music and musical history. We have the right to go and vote or not. It's it's a choice. And that's choice is a part of freedom. How we exercise that choice is up to us. I hope that everyone will make an informed vote. Research who you're voting for. Research carefully the president. Take into consideration that the president sets the tone of the country. If you have a corrupt president, our country may become more corrupt. If you have a family-oriented president, then our country may start considering things of family a little bit more. So our president does make a difference nationally as well as locally. And when I'm saying locally, I mean in these streets, in your community, in your neighborhood. Think about that for those who've yet to vote in early voting, and I know many people wait and go vote on Election Day. Think about that when you go to the polls, that your president, whomever it may be, playing well as locally, will impact the way we see ourselves as a people and as individuals. Yes, the presidency. Whoever that next president is. Well, you've been listening to our own voices live today and our topic was why voting for the president is important for local issues. You can find us on our own voices live if you would like to continue the conversation or if you are listening to our podcast and Please share our podcast with others. If you're listening to our podcast and you have a comment that you would like to make or even a question you would like to ask, uh, feel free to go to Our Own Voices Live on Facebook and post your question or comment. Uh, You can also find us on Our Own Voices on Twitter, and we'd love to hear from you there. Uh, We'll be back next week at 1230, and that will be, I believe, just before Election Day, and we'll have our pre-election show, and we're also going to talk, unless something changes, about
about the significance of standing rock. The significance of standing rock. And if you're not familiar with standing rock, I encourage you to do your Google search and or Yahoo search and look up standing rock and think of our founding fathers in a word that so many of them used in the establishment of our country and our constitution, and that word is tyranny, tyranny. Uh, Veterans Day is almost upon us. Uh, Think about our veterans. Think about those folks who haven't been home in sometimes up to 18 months serving our country. Remember that it's only 1% of the country that serves percentage that ensures the great majority of us are able to live the lives that we're able to live today. Remember, it is not the military member who sends themselves to war, but it is the president who does that. And if you are a relative, friend, co-worker, of one of those people who was sent to war, it just impacted you locally. And that is what the theme of our show today is why voting for the president is important for local issues. Uh, you can listen to us next week at 12.30, hopefully, 12.30 p.m. on the West. 3.30 out east. Uh, also, we have Thomas Berry, uh, who has his own show. It's not directly associated with our own voices live, but it is on the Speak Up Network, and he has a uh, sharper edge to his show, and uh, listen to him, that's at 4 o'clock, I believe, on West Coast time, and uh, that would be 7 o'clock, if I have my math right, or, uh, excuse me, 6 o'clock uh, Central time. Uh, Brother Lee Vaughn has Real Radio, Radio uh, established to address life. It comes on Saturday morning at 11 o'clock East Coast time. Of course, uh, that brother is a young brother, and he gives it to you from that perspective. You get a chance to listen in to him. Uh, we had Brother Jay Devon, who visited us at the gathering yesterday, who's on Las Vegas Rock. I, I believe it's 8 o'clock to do a search for Las Vegas Rock. Look up Jay Devon. Uh, the brother has some interesting shows, and big shout out to Jay for joining us at the gathering yesterday. Uh, Very cool. If you don't have gatherings in your local area, I encourage you to do so. You will be surprised at the people you will meet, the things that they have done, and or doing. It's another opportunity to expand yourself. So, thank you for listening to our own voices live with our topic: Why voting for the president is important for local issues. And we'll see you back next week. Angela, close us out. All right, everybody. Make it a great week. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, Don't eat too much candy. See you next week. All right. Bye-bye.